Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello again, and thank you for joining us on Space Nuts, the podcast with astronomer Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and I'm your host, Andrew Dunkley, and I don't need to know anything. Hello, Fred. And it's the shiny-headed Fred Watson saying hello <laughs> to Andrew Dunkley. Yes, Good day, Andrew. How are you doing? Anyone who listened to our last podcast past the end credits... You know, sometimes they do that in movies. They put a little bit on the end that nobody, you know, if you wait around, you get the bonus. That's what happened in the last podcast. So if you if you snuck out early, go back and have a listen to the end because it's worth it. Yes, Fred, good to see you. Good to talk to you. And you can I, you can, I can hear Mandu in the background. Mandu's going off. What's wrong yeah, with Mandu? Just, no, he's just being fed. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's pretty exciting in cat life. So being, is, yeah. being fed because there's not much else, is there, really? <laughs> now, really uh, no. <laughs> now, Fred, today we're going to talk about uh, interstellar travel, and this is um, this is a, a plan we've talked about before, but uh, basically getting a spacecraft to Proxima Centauri, and it looks like we're going to sail there, which will be very exciting. Uh, we're also going to talk about um, a, a pretty serious uh, topic, and that of a giant black hole that's um, uh, taken a record-breaking uh, record decade to detour a star, which sounds a bit weird in space terms. I wouldn't have thought that it would actually be able to detour. But anyway, you can explain that. I'll just sit here and look dumb. And um, we just saw the Super Bowl played and the great comeback by the New England Patriots over the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, once again, I just have to sit here and twiddle my thumbs and wonder what happened to the Cincinnati Bengals. But um, there's been a a, um, a a passing of the ball in space that has uh, achieved an incredible feat. So we'll we'll look at that a little later. But first, uh, getting to Proxima Centauri is one thing. Getting there with sails is another. And it looks like this is uh, all going to maybe come together really beautifully. Maybe it will, Andrew. It's part of Yuri uh, uh, Milner's Breakthrough uh, Starshot project, which is one of the three elements of the Breakthrough program. Breakthrough Starshot aims to send a small spacecraft, and by small I mean one weighing a few grams, not kilograms, grams, uh, to Proxima Centauri, which is the nearest star to the to the sun. Um, its uh, uh, distance is about 4.2 light years. Um, it, that is a distance that uh, really translates into something like 40-odd trillion kilometres. Uh, and um, it means that with the technology we have available today, the typical journey time would be about 100,000 years. But the Breakthrough Starshot project aims to do much better than that by equipping one of these nano spacecraft with a solar sail, a, a huge 
sheet of thin material like mylar or something like that, and then to blast it on with nothing more than radiation. So it sails along on the radiation from the sun, but when the sun is so far behind that its light has died down, then you blast lasers at it, mm. boost it along with your own lasers. So that project we've been talking about now for well over a year, and uh, people are certainly working on it. It has always been assumed, though, that since you'll reach to get there with this technology, the idea is you'll reach a speed of something like a third of the speed of light. Uh, that means it shrinks the journey times to something like 30 years rather than 100,000 years. But it means that when you get to the other end, you just zoom past at a third of the speed of light and you only get the merest blink of what this uh, pr probable planet around Proxima Centauri looks like. Ah, oh, see, I never thought of that. I never thought about not being able to stop. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. No, you can't stop because there's oh, nothing to stop you. Right. Except that um, a very, very smart uh, scientist, uh, which, uh, uh, you know, is, is what the best scientists are. They're pretty smart. <laughs> this is somebody who's at the Max Planck Institute for Solar System Research in Germany. Um, he has figured out that you can actually use the radiation of Alpha Centauri itself to slow down the spacecraft when it gets to the other end. Oh, okay. And maybe. Yeah, maybe that, even, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So when you yeah. get there, you do the reverse, basically. You do. That's right. You sort of, uh, you do some, the sort of things that sailors have been doing for centuries. You turn the sail uh, facing the other way and uh, it starts slowing down because of the radiation of, uh, of uh, Alpha Centauri. What it does is extends the journey time because you suddenly... You're de decelerating. Mm. Uh, but they also suggest that you can use a what we call a gravitational assist. It's when you fly by usually a planet, actually, to, to pick up some gravity from that. You can do the same thing in reverse by doing a gravity assist from Alpha Centauri itself and actually losing energy so that you slow down and hopefully get within CUI of Proxima Centauri uh, and maybe see uh, Proxima Centauri B, which is the planet that we believe is uh, orbiting around Proxima Centauri. One reason, as a footnote to this, uh, Andrew, one reason why everybody's so excited about this pro project is that Proxima Centauri B, the planet of Proxima Centauri, is thought to be an Earth-like planet. It's in the Goldilocks zone of its parent star, ah. and it's about the same t size as the Earth. Wow. So, But we don't know much more about it than that, except that's that about, it, that's it, about it. it's a rocky planet. So we don't know if it's got water. We don't know if it's got... Yeah, and I mean, we don't absolutely have any idea whether or not there's there's vegetation on it because we don't know of life beyond Earth, basically. That's, that's correct. Mm. Absolutely right. So this is a pretty impressive project, and it's shaping up to be something that might, you know, in 30 years' time, be taking us to the nearest star. I just hope I last long enough to see it. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, but there's, you know, as you and I have discussed, there's a possibility that we will perhaps find some kind of microbial life within our own solar system because we're starting to find water in all sorts of places. Indeed, that's right. So, you know, the, um, there are, I think, now six worlds that are known to have this structure of a rocky core, an ocean overlying the core, and then ice overlying the ocean. Um, they're all moons of other planets, uh, and um, any one of those actually is also worth a spacecraft. Uh, but, of course, you've got the problem of trying to drill through 20 kilometres of ice to find out what's in the ocean. But they're all candidate worlds for finding life. Mm. And, of course, the star performer is still the planet Mars. Um, I still am rather hopeful that we'll get some results within the next decade or so that will 
prove conclusively that there is life on Mars. Oh, wouldn't it be wonderful? Yeah. I think it would. Yeah. That would be a yeah. red-letter day indeed. So back to Proxima Centauri. When when are they expecting to launch this micro spacecraft? I, I think it's... I don't even think there is a date on the horizon. I think it's very much in the in the level of trying to de uh, develop the technology um, and basically try and uh, see just how realistic this might be. We have a very wealthy entrepreneur uh, heading this project and basically supporting it. I think there's a good chance that if he saw that this was a goer, he would pour more money into it and bring it forward. So it might well be, you know, not in too many years' time. Yeah. And I, I, I would think that uh, sending a micro spacecraft across, you know, a section of the cosmos would be a lot easier than a mega spacecraft. Um, it, it may well be. <laughs> I suppose your biggest problem is the risk of losing it. Yeah. Um, you know, because this thing's got fairly small radio antenna and uh, it's all very lightweight um, if you lose it in space then that's a bit embarrassing and things that only weigh grams would be very easily lost in space and, so, and, and yet you've got civilians doing today what NASA could only do 30 yeah, 40 years right. ago so yeah. you know yeah, it stands indeed. to reason that this is going to happen it, I think it will happen too yeah mm. I think it's a great project oh I love it I think it's just got everything about space travel and 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 um, looking beyond our own solar system um, just all wrapped up into a really exciting little uh, package I think it's going to be fantastic absolutely and hopefully we're still around to see it um, absolutely uh, amen to that as well <laughs> <laughs> okay we'll watch that one with interest and hopefully we'll have some news on that in the not too distant future you're listening to space nuts with andrew dunkley and of course from the australian astronomical observatory fred watson Okay, we checked all four systems and came with a go. Space Nuts. Now, Fred, we're going to look into a situation where a giant black hole has um, taken a detour. I, this sounds pretty weird to me. What, what's going on? Um, so the black hole is a, a one that has uh, um, basically been doing its thing in the centre of a, of a galaxy. It's about 1.8 billion light years from Earth, so it's a distant galaxy, and we really don't see much of it with, with the telescopes that we can use. Um, but what it's done is, uh, is not take a detour, it has had a devour. It's been devouring a, a star that has fallen into it. Oh. So, <laughs> so it's devouring a star, and it might well be causing a detour as well, uh, because this is a process that, uh, as, as you said earlier on, it, it's been going for 11 years. Um, what's happening, and, and let me put it in the terms that we astronomers think in, which is all about the way you observe it, um, what you've got is... Uh, optical, that's to say visible light observations of this galaxy, which is very distant. It just looks like a blob in Hubble telescope images. But when you observe it with Hubble's equivalent in the X-ray region of the spectrum, and this is a spacecraft called Chandra, it's a sort of re relative of Hubble. It's part of the same sequence of great observatories. Mm. And Chandra is a spacecraft that doesn't look for visible light, it looks for X-rays, ah, uh, not, yes. to, not to see th through things, uh, but because we know that X-rays are emitted when you've got gases that are heated to extremely high temperatures. And what's happened over the last 10 years, this little galaxy has been growing very, very bright in X-rays. 
and its its radiation has not just kind of gone up it's it's gone up and fluctuated a bit and the interpretation of that that we have from the x-ray astronomers is that what we're seeing is the effect of a star being decimated by the gravity of the black hole so that uh, this star has wandered close to the black hole it's been grabbed by the black hole's gravity and thrown into something we call the accretion disk. The accretion disk is a disk of material swirling around the black hole, which is eventually being swallowed up by the black hole. So that disk of material is, um, is actually uh, rotating at very high speeds. When a star falls into it, first of all, the star is basically dismembered by the gravity of the black hole. But that material that's fallen into the accretion disk is churned up by the accretion disk and gets to very high temperatures. And so then you start getting the X-ray emission from this object. And it's the X-rays that has, uh, have really betrayed what's actually going on in the vicinity of this black hole as it devours this star and takes 11 years to do it. It's not a quick meal by any means. So this is, this is more or less like uh, pulling the plug on your sink. This is what's happening. That's, now. It's exactly right, yeah. So that, um, you know, if you take your plug out and the water goes down the, the bath plug hole, that's more or less what's happening to the accretion disk of the black hole. It's being sucked in. It's always a mistake to think of black holes wandering through space and gobbling up everything in their path. Mm. They tend to be very stable and they more or less stay put. Um, but when you've got something that... Um, that is is big and uh, is 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 basically being absorbed by the black hole. There would certainly be quakes in the in the black hole's motion. Um, it's this star that's done that. We've seen it um, eating the eating the star up and releasing the X-ray radiation. Okay, uh, I I can't even begin to comprehend the power of a black hole. I mean, if a black hole can dismantle a star, it's <laughs> It's so much more powerful than, than the imagination could probably piece together. It's it's incredible, isn't it? it absolutely, and it, it, I mean it defies you know your imagination anyway. Because by definition, a black hole is a point in space uh, where the density is infinite. So uh, something with infinite density boggles the imagination. Uh, and you know when you think of th this thing's probably uh, got a mass of maybe a million or two million times the mass of the sun. Uh, so it's a massive object and a, a little star like that coming near it, even though it's actually a star twice as big as the sun, uh, it's still, um, you know, it's still uh, taking a while to be gobbled up. Yeah. Um, there's so many theories about black holes and, and you know, even as far as, as disrupting time. I mean, what do we actually know versus what's theory? That's That's the weird part for me. That's right. So, so black hole, because a black hole's got such a strong gravitational influence, gravity doesn't just distort the space around it, it also distorts time. So that if you fell into a black hole and we watched you, uh, basically there would be a point at which it appeared that time had stopped for you, that you'd, you'd be kind of splattered on the edge of the black hole, even though the real Andrew Dunkley has gone through that limit and he's being spaghettified, it's being turned into spaghetti by the gravitational forces of the black hole. Nevertheless, it would look to, to us as though time had stopped for you, and that's because of the, the, the gravitational time dilation, as it's called. Okay, so that's what happens. Um, and we do have a black hole at the centre of our own um, That's right, yes. Galaxy, it's one, of the, one of the best studied black holes is at the centre of our galaxy. It's in the constellation of Sagittarius here in Australia. It passes 
directly over our heads once a day um, and um, is 26,000 light years away and is of no threat whatsoever to the earth. Yeah, that's close uh, enough. Yeah. yeah. Just Don't get any closer. Just stay where you are. Nothing happening here. We're, just, we're all fine. Just stay in the black ground. <laughs> yes, that's, that's exactly right. Uh, okay, so um, this poor old star's being devoured over, well, in, in universal terms, 11 years is like a flash. It is. Um, and this is probably happening all over the place. It is, although this, uh, the, the scientists who have been working on this say that it's the longest known uh, tidal disruption event, which is a posh name for a star being devoured. Uh, it's the longest known uh, in our experience. We haven't ever measured one longer. Mm, okay, very interesting. You're listening to Space Nuts. Fred Watson with me, and this is Andrew Dunkley. Three, two, one... Space nuts. Uh, finally, Fred, we're uh, going to talk about uh, American football. Now, American football is actually played in Australia. They've been playing it for many, many years. There's um, a few leagues around, and I, I actually love American football. I am a huge Cincinnati Bengals fan, and uh, I've got one of their jerseys in my closet that I keep hidden from my wife because I know it'll end up at, a, at an op <laughs> shop somewhere. But, um, yeah, unfortunately, the Cincinnati Bengals have only ever been in two Super Bowls and they lost them both, and that was in the 80s, and um, I don't think they've done anything ever since. But that's beside the point. The reason we're talking about the Super Bowl is not because the New England Patriots absolutely shellacked in overtime the um, Atlanta Falcons the other day. We're talking about a football pass in space that has achieved... Uh, astronomical distances and that's all because of proximity I would imagine uh, I, well I think it's because of velocity velocity <laughs> I knew I was close yeah so look I'll tell you how much I know about um, American football and, and, is it that, and that's it. <laughs> is it is it also called gridiron yes that's right Oh, good. So nice I thought work. that might be something else. There you go. <laughs> so um, what, of course, are very, very big in the United States and there are American astronauts on board the International Space Station. So um, what they did during the, the uh, Super Bowl game, uh, some of the astronauts on board the International Space Station took a, a punt at the longest record-breaking pass ever made in Super Bowl. And what they did was, um, in, in microgravity, of course, which is what you're in in, in space, uh, they projected the football uh, along one of the longer corridors of the International Space Station as slowly as they could in the direction of travel of the space station uh, over the Earth's surface. And I guess, you know, the fact that they're pass was actually 500 kilometers long might have more to do with the fact that their spacecraft is traveling at nearly eight kilometers per second rather than any expertise in uh, in, a, in a super bowl pass but yes that uh, that um eight kilometers per second uh, meant that the football covered uh, a total of 500 kilometers uh, during this one-minute pass, which is what it was roughly. Uh, they don't believe this is going to qualify for the Guinness Book of Records, though, because this, you know, being on the International Space Station, well, it's kind of cheating, really, uh, when you when you've got eight kilometers per second propelling you along. So, to to put it in terms that I understand. They threw the ball on the space station in near zero G, and it went, I think, from what I read, 
80 yards or something in the space station. But from the moment of release to the moment that it stopped, it covered how far on Earth? 500 kilometres. Yeah. So, (laughs) I mean, they're way up there. And so the arc of the the throw in proximity to the surface of the Earth was 500-something yeah. kilometres. I mean, in, in a sense, it wouldn't have made any difference. You know, the 80 yards that they threw it means nothing whatsoever no. compared with 500 kilometres that the space station covers over the ground. So if they just, you know, uh, held the ball and sort of thrown it gently uh, upwards and then caught it again and made it last a couple of minutes or so, they'd have probably done 1,000 kilometres. Yeah. Uh, they, they did call it. Actually, I, I guess what's what's qualified it is the fact that it was a pass because it went from one astronaut to another. Right. And they're describing it as the longest Hail Mary pass ever. And I had to look up what a Hail Mary pass. I know is. what a I know what a Hail Mary is. You might want to tell us. It's a it's a pass you make in the hope that someone will catch it and score and win the game at the last, <laughs> in the death basically. That's right. It's a Hail it's Mary. A, it's a desperate attempt, mm. and um, this indeed was, but it uh, was successful in covering rather a lot of the Earth's surface on its way. So they made a Hail Mary hoping for a splashdown rather than a touchdown. Well, that's right. Actually, a splashdown would be embarrassing, though, because these astronauts <laughs> will return. They'll return to the Earth on a Soyuz spacecraft. So they'll, they'll land, land on the land. They'll land on dry land. Yeah. That's right. Okay. <laughs> So that just killed my joke pretty badly. Never mind, that's all right. We yeah. got another one out of it. Yeah. <laughs> did we? I must have well, missed that one. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> okay. Um, well, this is what's fascinating about space travel and even just orbiting the Earth, which you and I have discussed many times. And orbiting the Earth is, in fact, just falling back to Earth. But because the Earth is a sphere... You're constantly falling, which means you just go around and around. But exactly so. It's really quite uh, amazing that uh, the further out you go, the faster you need to travel. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really amazing mathematical conundrum in my humble mind. Well, the, the weird mathematics, Andrew, is that the higher you go, the more energy you need to impart, which is why you need to blast it up with a bigger rocket. But actually, the slower your speed around the Earth. Ah. And so the, the moon, for example, is orbiting the Earth at one kilometre per second. And yet the, the astronauts on the space station are going around at eight kilometres per second. Ah. It's just the way gravity works. Yeah, I, I still can't yeah. figure out gravity. I, I don't understand why you can bounce around on the moon and, um, at one-eighth the weight you are on Earth. I, just, I can't get that in my head. I think it's a sixth, actually, but that's all right. Well, I was guessing. I wasn't far off, but that's how good I—that's how good I was at maths at school. You—you—you uh, you, you got there in the end. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> all right, uh, Fred. Um, the Hail Mary pass has been sent and uh, and received, and the touchdown has been made, and the New England Patriots are the champions of the world, even though they only played America. But that's beside the point. Uh, I think they actually play American football in Canada as well. But uh, I'm not absolutely sure about that. Fred, uh, as always, it's been a great pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, now, we're going to take a little break just to um, clear our headspace, and we'll be, we'll be back sometime in March. But uh, as always, a great pleasure. Thank you so much.
No problem. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Good to talk to you, and I'll see you in March. Indeed. Uh, Fred Watson from the Australian Astronomical Observatory, and you've been listening to Space, uh, Space Nuts even. And don't forget to look us up on Facebook. We love to hear from you. We get questions from time to time. We get comments. We, uh, we're posting material there all the time, not just our podcast. Uh, and we, we, uh, we love to, to hear from you and find out what you're thinking and what you're doing. And uh, don't forget our sister podcast as well, uh, which is also available online uh, with uh, Stuart Gary. Just put his name in your search engine. You'll find him. He does uh, his podcast, although I think his computer's broken, so he, he might be offline for a little while too. But uh, I shouldn't have said that, but uh, let's just carry on. Until next time, thank you for listening to Space Nuts. Space Nuts. You've been listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Subscribe to the full podcast on iTunes, Audioboom and Stitcher or your favourite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Sites.com. Now I'm recording so that we can see. Okay, good. Yeah. You're not going to make any more rude comments about my hair while you're recording? No, but you do know he put that on the end of the last podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah, it was a, that was a keeper, that one. Welcome to Mafia, a new podcast telling stories of America's criminal underworld. Gotti assumed the position of head of the Gambino family. And using the name Donnie Brasco, I was able to infiltrate the uh, Bonanno uh, crime family in New York City. Bugsy Siegel is an American mob legend. One man changed the whole texture and landscape of crime in America. Listen to Mafia every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows.